Uh, good evening, everybody. Great to be with you tonight. Great to be with you if you're joining us online. And either way, why don't you take your Bibles and open up tonight to Romans chapter 15 is where we're going to start and where we're going to be for a few minutes. That's going to launch us off into some other places in Scripture tonight. But Romans chapter 15 is where I invite you to turn. It's Neighbors and Nations Week. If you don't know that, I want you to know, and there's been a lot of activity this past week through our life groups and there's been a lot of share meals going on. There's been a lot of focus on how we reach the nations and our neighbors and I'm thrilled about that. Personally, had a share meal this week. I'll tell you a little bit more about that maybe later, but thank you for praying for me in that. And uh, the, the, the point and the focus of Neighbors and Nations for us as a church is this, to refocus. Uh, the prayer is to mobilize us and to rekindle the passion in us as a church and as disciples of the Lord Jesus for this great commission that has been assigned to us by Jesus Christ himself. A prayer for you and for me and for all of us this week is that fire, that flame in us that God has put there to make him known has been rekindled a bit this week. Now, even as I was sitting down here, I was thinking it's been 25 years ago, but there's an event that happened to me that literally is still changing my life today. Uh, 25 years ago, I was a single guy. I was in college at ETSU, not married yet. I had uh, jumped in. I was a part of Campus Crusade for Christ. And for the first time, this Irwin boy who had never really been very far out of the south of the United States traveled across the ocean and spent six weeks in the country of Belarus. Belarus, if you don't know your geography, that's a former Soviet republic. And Belarus was one of those closed, almost closed nations for a while. And I lived there for six weeks. And my takeaway after being there, and it still resonates in my mind, I still read scripture differently as this, is our God is a global God. The God of the Bible doesn't speak English. The God of the Bible is not merely an American. Our God is a global God deserving worship of all people in every nation on earth. A few years after that, I had another shaping experience. I traveled with a group to the nation of Laos. Again, if you don't know anything about Laos, it's a communist country, and it's a country that you would refer to today as a closed nation. As a part of my time there, I was actually there with some people here from Tri-Cities. As a part of my time there, I spent days and hours and time literally seeing and hearing from men and women, boys and girls who had literally never heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They'd never heard the gospel. In that closed nation, they were literally these unreached peoples who had never heard the name of Christ. That was immensely shaping to me. So that's one of the reasons you don't have to gain it from an experience. We gain it primarily from the word of God. But here's, here's our conviction from scripture and why we do neighbors and nations and what is driving this. And we've said it over and over. You're going to hear it over and over. There's a point behind that. It's this. Our God is worthy. Our God is worthy to be known and to be worshiped. By all peoples in all nations on earth. He's worthy. He's worthy. And at the same time, we, 
you, me, us as followers of Jesus, us as a local church, we, his redeemed people, we are called, equipped, commissioned, dispatched, if you will. We have been sent by God Almighty himself to make Jesus known to our neighbors right here where we live. We talked about that last week to the nations of the earth, and we're going to focus on that a little bit this week. We've been called and commissioned to do that. Jesus made that very clear. You don't have to turn there. Matthew chapter 28, again, as we said last week, if you've been in church any amount of time, you've heard the great commission, as it's called, of the Lord Jesus himself, given to his disciples then, through them, given to us today in the same way, every follower, every believer. This is our commissioning by the Lord. Matthew 28, 18 says, Jesus speaking, all authority has been given to me in heaven, on earth. No place on the planet that's not under the complete authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Not a spot. And he said, go therefore and make disciples. The commission is not merely evangelism and making Jesus known. That's a part of it. The great commission is making disciples, followers of the Lord Jesus, who then in turn make more disciples and more followers of the Lord Jesus. And by the way, you're here and I'm here 2,000 years after this command because somebody obeyed it and told you the message of the gospel. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe this process of discipleship, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So here's the big truth we've been focused on the last couple of weeks or last week and this week as a part of Neighbors and Nations. It comes right out of this and it's simply stated this way. Making disciples demands we share Jesus and leads us to reach the unreached. The go practice we're focused on this Neighbors and Nations is reach the unreached. We are called as a church to focus and prioritizing reaching Making Jesus known, whether it's in Laos or whether it's like we talked about last week, that neighbor next door who is living in spiritual confusion and never clearly heard the gospel, we're called and commissioned to reach the unreached. This week we'll talk about this call to make Jesus known to the nations of the world. So Romans 15, go ahead and turn there. We'll be around verse 18 through 22. We're going to start here. And again, that's going to launch us out in some, some other sections of Scripture tonight. But Romans chapter 15. Now, if you were with us a couple years ago, you know we walked verse by verse through the book of Romans a couple years ago. And you'll remember that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a group of believers in the capital of the world at that time, the city of Rome. We have in this letter written by Paul the clearest explanation of the gospel and the implications of the gospel into every area of our life, every area of our lives. But at the same time, you may or may not remember that the book of Romans was written as a missionary support letter by Paul to, to the church at Rome saying, I, I want to get to Spain, which would have been perceived as the ends of the earth in that day. I, he said, I want to get to Spain. I, I want to reach the unreached there. But I want you, the believers in Rome, to be a part of it. He writes about that in chapter 15, verse 24. You can read that on your own. 
And when you come to Romans 15, the context of this chapter is the unity of the church there in Rome. Church in Rome was made up of Jews. It's made up of Gentiles, the nations. It was a church of the nations. And, they, and because of that, and all the cultural differences and all the backgrounds that they brought, you could imagine the challenges that the church at Rome had with some of the things around unity. So Paul writes in chapter 15 about the unity, and he reminds them, and I want you to get the context before we read verse 18. He's reminding the church that, listen, Jew, listen, Gentile, from all the nations of the world, remember, it has always been God's plan for the church to be made up of Jews and Gentiles alike. The nations of the world are to be represented in the church. The redeemed. Paul, a Jew, was commissioned by Christ himself to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to the nations. To take the message of Christ to the nations. So with all that background, in chapter 15, you come to verse 18. Just to give you a little understanding of the context of what Paul's talking about. With all that, he says, verse 18, he talks about his ministry to the nations, to the Gentiles there in Europe. He says, for I will, verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles, the nations, to obedience by word and deed. And Paul's writing this after several of his missionary journeys throughout Asia Minor and throughout Europe, and he's seen churches planted, he's seen disciples made, he's seen great fruit among the nations of the world, if you will. He says, verse 19, by power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, that, and listen to this, he sums it up and he says that, or so that from Jerusalem, where the church was born, all the way to Illyricum, that's another town, if you will, there in, in Europe, he says, in this 1,500-mile span of territory, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Wow. Paul, what are you saying? Well, Paul was in effect saying after years and years and years of ministry in these areas, he's not saying that everyone was a believer. He's not even saying everyone had heard the message of the gospel. But he does seem to be saying that my work here has produced so much fruit that there are healthy, vibrant churches throughout this area that are going to carry on the ministry of making Jesus known. And then he even says in verse 23, there's no longer any room for me in my ministry in these areas. He says, I'm going to the unreached. So Paul says there's been such impact of the gospel here. There are healthy, vibrant churches in these areas that are going to carry on the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Then he goes on to verse 20. And this is kind of setting up verse 20 where we're going to land with all that. And he says, and thus, therefore, here's what I want you to hear. Verse 20, he says, thus. I make it my ambition. You write in your Bible, I encourage you to circle this in the pages of your scripture. The Apostle Paul says, therefore, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, the message of Christ, crucified, buried, resurrected. Let's be clear, the message of the gospel of Christ. He said, I make it my ambition to make known the gospel not where Christ has already been named. 
lest I build on someone else's foundation. Verse 21, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, those who have never heard will understand. This is an incredible passage of scripture, quickly. Verse 20, Paul says, let me tell you what my ambition is. The word ambition here is the same idea as aspired. Some of your translations may say that. It's what he earnestly desires. He, he made it a point for which he struggled. It was not merely something he wanted to see happen. He built his entire life around carrying this out. He said, it is my ambition. It's that for which I aspire. It's the strategic aim of my ministry of my life. What is it, Paul? To proclaim Jesus to people in places where Jesus has not been named. Paul said, there's been such an impact of the ministry here in Europe. There's healthy churches that the gospel is going forth. Now I, Paul, I got to go. I'm going to Spain. I'm going to regions, people and places in the world that have not yet heard of Jesus. And the phrase here literally means not yet heard so as to be worshiped. There are people on the planet, Paul says, in effect, that are not giving worship to our God because they've never even heard the message of the gospel. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I'm going to reach the unreached. Says my ambition, my desire. Now, as we read this, I want to ask a couple of questions about it practical for us tonight again. What do we mean by unreached? It's a term we use. We use that as one of our go pursuits, reach the unreached. Well, we take our definition a lot from this chapter verse 15 of Romans. The unreached is the idea, again, of people and places where Christ is largely unknown in the world. If all you have ever known is life in the Bible belt, can I just be real honest? You read some passages like this in the Bible and you skim right on past them because you've never known a world that you don't drive and see a church, a voice, a witness, a Christian, a believer. That's not the majority of the world. And that's not the majority of the world Paul was speaking to. It, it, unreached areas are areas where if a church exists, if there are believers there, they are unable or under-resourced or, or they're incapable of even making known the gospel there to their larger population. They don't have the capacity or the ability, so they need outside help to advance the gospel. That's why you'll hear words like access, limited access, or no access, referring to what capacity, what opportunity is there for the people living in that region to hear the message of the gospel. That's why Paul says, I make it my ambition to make Jesus known, to preach the gospel where Christ has not already been named. A question for you, if, if you're asking this, get really practical here tonight. Okay, Pastor Mike, and then the world we live in, you talk about unreached, or, or those who have limited to no access to the gospel. How many people is that? And again, we don't know for sure. Missiologists have a lot of different figures. I, I want to give you a, a number that 
I, I drew from the Joshua Project, and it's this. The world population as we stand here tonight is somewhere around 7.8 billion people. That's with a B. That's a lot. Population of the United States is around 300 million World population, 7.8 billion. Missiologists estimate that unreached people would represent 3.2 billion of that number. In other words, of that world population, 3.2 would represent people who would either have limited access to the gospel or no access to the gospel. And again, for us, it's almost impossible to even get our minds around that. But Paul had his mind around it, and Paul understood his heart was broken, and he was impassioned as he said, I make it my ambition to make Jesus known where he has not been known before. Missiologists sometimes use a strategy, a tool, when they're talking about the nations, instead of thinking of 212 geopolitical entities. They think of something called people groups. This is a tool, a strategy. If you break down the world in people groups, a people group would be individuals who have common sense of history, language, beliefs, identity. They're known as a people group. There would be a whole lot more than 212, 220. There would be something around 17,000 people groups on the planet. And missiologists estimate that 7,400 of those people groups would be considered unreached. That among that people group, there's no vibrant means for the gospel to be advancing. And the likelihood is if you're part of that people group, you're going to live, and die, and likely never hear the message of the gospel. That's what we mean when we say unreached. Now. Ask you a question, Paul. Why then were you so impassioned to take the message of Jesus to places and people where Christ had not been named? And you, you say, well, obviously the reason was the need. I mean, Paul had to know these numbers, and he just he thought of all this need out there of where Jesus had not been named. And I want to argue tonight that his primary motivation was not need. Primary motivation for Paul and for us as the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we care about the people in the world who've never heard. When we listen to the news reports and we hear of the nation's when, when we hear what's going on with the refugees being displaced, when we hear what's going on in the world, it ought to go through our mind, is Jesus being worshipped by those people? Have they heard the gospel? Paul's motivation, I believe, was this. Go back to verse 20. He says, and thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ had already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Verse 21. But as it is written. Paul knew his Bible. And Paul was constrained by the realities and the truth of what the Bible proclaims here. He's quoting Isaiah 52 of the message of the Messiah who is to come. He says, those who have never been told will see and those who have never been heard will understand. Paul knows his Bible and Paul knows the message throughout the pages of Scripture is one of a God who is worthy to be known and worshipped by all peoples in all nations of the earth. 
So Paul can't imagine people who've never heard the message of Jesus crucified and resurrected and are not giving worship to the God who is worthy of that worship of all nations and all people. Paul knew his Bible. Let me just remind you quickly and give you a little jet trip through the pages of Scripture. And then we'll come back to Romans 15 quickly. But if you go all the way back, Paul knew the promise that had been given to Abraham. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. But all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God declared something to Abraham. He said, and the Lord said to Abram, who would later be called Abraham, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. Talking about the nation of Israel. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. Verse 3. And I'll bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I'll curse. Then get this into verse 3. And all peoples, all nations on the earth will be blessed through you. All the way back to the promise given to Abraham. There was this purpose of the nation and the Messiah who would come through the nation so that the nations of the earth would be blessed by the message of the gospel and give worship to this God who is deserving and worthy of the worship of all peoples and all nations on earth. Isaiah 49 6 gives the purpose for even the nation of Israel. It says I'll make you as a light for the nations. That my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Through Israel, the Messiah would come. Why? So that God would be known and worshipped by all the nations of the earth. Psalm 67. Psalm 67, right there in the middle of your Bible, says this. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity. You guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. What's Psalm 67 declaring? Our God is worthy to be known and worshipped by all the nations on the earth. Call. For the nations of the earth to worship God of the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. Matthew 28, you've heard it over and over, even in the context, just remember Jesus now in line of the flow of scripture itself, the Redemptive history of God. Jesus then says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. All the nations. And then as we read earlier, Anthony read this to her earlier. You go to the end of the Bible and the end of redemptive history and the end of time as we know it. What's it going to look like? This plan of God being brought to complete fulfillment. Revelation chapter 9 verses 9 and 10. John, the apostle, is given a vision of the throne of God. And it says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. All tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and crying out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The nations of the world sought, bought, redeemed, paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus there worshiping around the throne of God, the Lamb of God. Our God is worthy to be known and worshiped by all nations, all peoples, 
on the earth. And you and I, like Paul, we, we have this mission that's been given to us to be a part of something that cannot fail. It's taking the message of Christ to the world, to the nations, so that our God will receive the worship that he is due. Paul makes it his ambition, Romans 15, as we said before. He says, therefore, why was it his ambition? Paul knew his Bible. Paul knew his God. So for him, he says again, verse 20, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been well, listen, beloved, as a local church and a church that takes serious the commission, that takes seriously the pages of Scripture, and this is our calling, our mandate, it matters to us to reach the unreached right here in East Tennessee and to do whatever it takes to prioritize reaching the unreached in places of the world. It's our calling. It's the message of Scripture. Again, it's not going to be the need that's ultimately going to drive you. It's not even going to be this passion that you might work up. It's going to be immersing yourselves in the pages of Scripture and the God of Scripture and being so bound to his purpose that you say, how can it be that there are three billion people on the world today that are not giving our God his worship. Three billion people in the world today have never even heard the clear message of the gospel that Jesus died and rose again, that you can have life. Never even heard. We can't be okay with that. As a church, part of our missional strategy is what we call, we reach the unreached. And what I want to do for the time that's remaining, just a few minutes left tonight, is I want to try to do my best to answer this question. Not, not only why do we reach the unreached, I think the Bible makes that clear. Our God is worthy of it. But how do we do that as a local church? And this is just going to be very practical, middle of neighbors and nations. So how do we do that as a local church? I'm going to give you a few ways and ways that we aspire to continue to do this and ways that we want to continue to aim to do this as a church. But how do we reach the unreached among the nations? And let me just say, if you're a member of Tri-Cities Baptist Church, you have a part in this. We all have a part in this. This is us as a local church. This is not just for the elite who might go to the nations and plant their lives. Some will do that, but we all have a part to play. So how then will we reach the unreached among the nations? We do three things really quick. Number one, we pray to reach the unreached. We pray. And I pray it's part of your regular diet. In fact, you were given a little guide for 14 days to read certain passages of Scripture. And out of those passages of Scripture, turn that truth into a prayer to the God who is worthy. I hope your life is characterized with some prayers like Psalm 86, verse 9, that says, All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. I pray you have those prayers and when you're hearing the news and you're hearing what's going on in the world and you hear about the nations of the world, you pray Psalm 86 and you cry out and say, Jesus, make yourself known there. We, we, listen, I hope as believers and followers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are global Christians. 
and the nations of the world are not just news headlines to you. When you hear the headlines of the world, because you know what scripture calls us to do, you know Psalm 86, 9, when you hear what's going on in North Korea, a nation that's closed to the gospel and all the atrocities, you step back and you say, Lord Jesus, in the nation of North Korea, make yourself known. When you hear what's going on in a nation like Iran, a nation that's closed to the gospel, you don't think just politically, well, they're a Muslim nation and they deserve, no, 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 no. They are just as deserving of the gospel as you and I. We're not at all. But when you hear what's going on in a country like Iran, you turn that around to a gospel prayer, Psalm 86, 9, and you say, Jesus, make yourself known to the country of Iran. You keep up with headlines that are going on and you find out there is a gospel movement going on now in the nation of Iran. Like, that is incredible where churches are being started and, and believers are coming to faith and there's a movement in the nation of Iran. How did that happen? The grace of God and maybe the prayers of God's people. You hear about all the Syrian refugees that are being displaced and Instead of thinking merely political, well, what should we do about our borders? And however you view that, it's not the point. The question is, first see it as a global Christian and you cry out, Psalm 86, 9. Lord, make yourself known among the Syrian refugees. It's the way we pray. That's the way we read the news and watch the news because the word of God is constraining our mind and our heart. And we're so saturated we hear of billions and millions of people around the world that are not giving our God the worship that he is due. We cry out, Lord, make yourself known. Well, let's tell you, you better be careful what you pray. Because often you might become the answer to that prayer and God may burden your heart to the point that you're not only praying, you're going. And that'd be fantastic. We pray to reach the unreached. Secondly, as a church, we give financially to reach the unreached. We give generously. We give sacrificially. Uh, quickly, Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. Again, I want to chase this. It should be on the screen. Is, a, is an example of a little church there in Philippi that you've heard about that financially supported the ministry and the work of the Apostle Paul to the point Paul wrote back to them in chapter 4, verse 15. He says, and you Philippians yourself know that from the beginning or in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Writes this letter and says, thank you for financially partnering with the advancement of the gospel through the Apostle Paul. We do that. As a church, when you give your regular tithes and offerings, just know that a portion of your regular tithes and offerings goes to work with partners around the world to advance the Great Commission and to make disciples and advance Jesus and plant churches and reach the unreached and serve the vulnerable. All that happens just as you give regular tithes and offerings. Over and above that, you guys know, you hear about it, we have something called Give to Go. It's set aside as a missions fund where we can give over and above regular tithes and offerings and all of it goes out to reach the unreached, to plant churches, to send disciples, to serve the vulnerable, to train leaders in parts of the world to serve the church where the gospel can be advanced. You get to be a part of that. I get to be a part of that. 
If you were in life group this week, you watched, watched the video we put together just to kind of give you some ideas of what give to go does, how you can be a part of that. If you haven't seen that, it's online. I encourage you to check that out. You can find it on Behind the Message as well to learn more about what we get to be a part of as a church through our giving to this thing called give to go Thirdly, we pray, we give, and we go. We go. As a church, there are multiple options. And again, everything is a little weird during COVID. I know that. The, the, the amount of our, our capacity to be able to send people out. And even many of our missionary families are here stateside because of COVID. So this season is a little bit different. But normally, there are boundless opportunities for you and I to go. There are what we call constantly go moments, which we have every day, turning everyday conversation into what we call go moments. We talked about that last week. We have what we call go trips. Go trips are these week to two week long opportunities for you to go serve alongside a partner somewhere in the world. You go as a family, to go as an individual. You'll hear about those throughout the year. My prayer is that over the next year, again, whatever happens in the world scene, we don't know, but... The prayer continually is that hundreds of you will give a week or two weeks to go plant your life and serve alongside a trusted partner somewhere in the world. Give of your time. Give of your energy. Instead of taking a vacation week here, say, no, I'm going to take my family and we're going to go serve beside our partner in Uganda with my church family. Go trips. We have something called Go Seasons. You don't know about these ghost seasons are somewhere from two weeks to all the way up to two years. They're really designed for college students or retirees who have larger blocks of time to go give of a major portion of their time and to plant their life for a season for the advancement of the gospel. Listen, my prayer, I just want you to know, my prayer is we send many college students out who give their first year of college to what we call a gap year when they don't really know what they will do with their life anyway, right? I've got two college sons. I know that. Go give a year for the advancement of the gospel somewhere. We're establishing those platforms and there's partners where you can do that. Partners or parents, would you be willing to challenge your son or daughter to give six months or a year to go serve somewhere in the world for the advancement of Christ? Hope you would. And we have something called go stays quickly. Go stays are those individuals and families that recognize and discern the missionary call of God on their lives. And we send them out and they plant their lives somewhere else in the world. We have... Many of those in our church, again, who are stateside now. I hope you can have conversations and hear from them. But my prayer at the same time is we'll send out many more who say, I don't want to just go for a week. I don't want to just give. I, I, I want to go plant my life for the advancement of the gospel somewhere in the world. Lord, my answer is yes to you. And I'll just tell you, my prayer is we see that happen every year in our church over and over and over. Quickly, there's going to be a text link on the board. You'll see this around a lot or on the screen. If you have questions about any of these things, just text that link and our Go team will circle back with you and try to answer any questions you may have. Finally, I'll just close with this. How do we reach the unreached? I want to share with you something I'm really excited about and we wanted to share this during Neighbors and Nations Week. We have something we call strategic partnerships. 
Strategic partnerships are where after much prayer and much time spent and much study and much homework, we identify particular places in the world with particular partners where we say for the next three to five years, we're going to give focused resources, focused attention, focused time. We're going to send teams. We're going to send individuals. And our prayer is that over a three to five year period, we're able to make a significant impact in this particular part of the world. Tommy Hobson, one of our uh, missionary families who's been stateside has been helping me with this for the last several months. And we've identified, and we just want to begin to share those two particular locations and two particular unreached people groups that we're going to focus on as a church for the next three to five years. Those two locations are in Uganda, which is in the middle of Africa, and South Asia. And I'll just go ahead and stay, say here, we say South Asia for security reasons, but it's particularly the country of India, right around the city of Mumbai, one of the largest cities in the world to work with the Konkan people, one of the largest unreached people groups in the world. What that means for us as a church, over the next three to five years, we're going to have opportunities for focused prayer to pray that God would make himself known in these regions and use us to do it. You'll hear more and more about that the next few weeks. Our prayer is that we'll take at least two trips every year to both of these regions. There'll be trips for evangelism. There'll be trips for training leaders and church leaders. We pray that there'll be at least three short-term go seasons that some college students, retirees, will go and plant their life there for a season. And we're also praying that we'll send at least one family to each of these regions to plant their life. We believe it's a strategic part of the world God has identified for us, a little church here in East Tennessee, that can have a significant advancement or impact for the purpose of the gospel. Why? Because we believe Jesus Christ is worthy and worth it.